welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Hi, and welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with your hosts Mackenzie and Micah. Uh, today, we are we have decided that we are not going to do the next section in the book, which is on the Psalms, because uh, it's kind of boring to discuss. It's hey, Psalms are nice. Go read them. They're poetry uh, about God. So the Psalms are nice, and you should read them. And with that said, let's talk about schisms. <laughs> so uh, we got our listener request uh, from a friend in Britain who was confused because we have an awful lot of types of Quakers in the U.S. that, um, you know, Britain has two of the kinds we're going to end up discussing, and then there are a lot of countries that have the other two, and the U.S. has four. This might be news This might be news for some friends in Britain, because a lot of friends in Britain think there's only one type of Quaker in Britain. There are, in fact, two types of Quaker yes. in Britain. Yes. Um, so... As a starting point, what we're saying here is that there are four branches of Quakers and, uh, well, four major branches. There are also some, you know, there are some independent ones and Micah and I were just discussing before we started recording that there are also the Holiness Quakers in the central U.S. that don't really fit into one of the major branches either. But broadly, there are the liberals, the conservatives, the pastoral, and the evangelical. And... If you wanted to split these up, then you'd say like the liberals and the conservatives tend to be unprogrammed worship with you know, uh, silence and waiting for somebody to hear a message from God and say it and having that be their entire worship session, whereas the pastoral and evangelicals will tend to have a sermon. Um, and whether yeah, the extent to which and we call that programmed worship, the extent to which they're programmed varies significantly. Um, I know, Micah, you have a lot more experience with this than me, so do you want to explain the different ways that uh, programmed worship has a tendency to go? Yeah, I mean, it can range. It can range from, uh, I mean, the truth, okay, so here, here's the dirty little secret about unprogrammed Quakerism. Unprogrammed Quakerism is actually quite programmed, <laughs> and there are, lots, there are lots of things that if you wanted to consider them programming, you sure could, like um, having set announcements, having the tea and coffee time, um, having, having set readings that happen, having lectures. Wait, set readings? At, set, yeah, I've set never readings. seen set they're, readings they're, in a in an unprogrammed meeting. Absolutely. Ohio Yearly Meeting has institutionalized it. They read advices at the end of worship. Oh, interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, unprogrammed friends love a good lecture. Now, they may not call it worship, but it's like a sermon. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, the, the secret is that programmed and unprogrammed friends are not actually that different. However, Program friends are, uh, or pastoral friends, or evangelical friends, whatever the label or terminology might be, um, they're going to typically look, uh, if you walked in off the street, if you were a normal person, uh, you would think they were pretty weird. But if you were a Quaker uh, from the unprogrammed stream, you would think, wow, these people look exactly like evangelical Christians. Um, because uh, there's typically going to be um, a, a sermon uh, and some set hymns that are sung, and maybe, you know, just like in, and, and also just like in uh, liberal meetings, there will be some announcements, there might be a prayer time, and in addition to that, uh, in, in most, in most uh, pastoral Quaker meetings, there's going to be a period of waiting worship, uh, and by waiting worship, uh, it's typically in the pastoral stream called open worship, um, and it, it tends to last, um, I'd, I'd say typically, there are going to be exceptions, but typically the longest it would ever last uh, on an ordinary basis 
would be maybe 10 minutes, and that would be considered really long. Uh, yeah. Um, huh. That that you know, in in your typical pastoral meeting, that would be the long, like the longest norm, the normal length of it would be maybe ten minutes. That would be considered very long. Um, I think in your in your more typical pastoral meeting, it's going to be between um, uh, for those that have it, it's going to be between uh, thirty seconds and five minutes. Um, and uh, and and some some evangelical meetings don't have any period of waiting. Worship oh, I had the impression that for some of them it was more like. 15 minutes to a half hour, but I think, but then that was from some friends that, well, that was the impression I got from um, the folks from Northwest Yearly Meeting that came to Friends of Jesus last year, and I know they're from so, so, uh, Friends churches that are a little odder. There are outliers, um, and, and in fact, there's, there's, there's some churches that uh, like to consider themselves semi-programmed, because, and, and when a church calls itself semi-programmed, typically what that means uh, is that they, ha they that in, in their minds, uh, they have more unprogrammed or waiting or open worship uh, than would be normal in a pastoral meeting. So, uh, you know, uh, that's possible. But but in my experience traveling around and, and visiting different pastoral meetings, I would say it ranges between, at the extreme, um, zero minutes of waiting <laughs> worship. There are, definitely, uh, there are definitely evangelical churches that don't have any waiting worship. Um, and I would say... Typically, now, now sometimes it'll go longer because the spirit will be moving, right? Like mm -hmm. things are variable. But, but as for you're like, you know how in, in, in unprogrammed Quaker meetings, you know, your time is an hour. And in a good unprogrammed Quaker meeting, it could go longer or shorter depending on how the spirit leads. Right, if somebody's not stare, staring at their watch and is instead waiting to see whether it feels settled. Exactly. But so your typical time in your, in your unprogrammed Quaker meeting is normally going to be about an hour. So uh, I would say your typical time in uh, a pastoral meeting is probably going to be, uh, depending on the meeting, between 10 and zero minutes, um, with 10 being very long um, and, and, and probably, you know, more like five minutes being more typical. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, so I should probably visit one of those at some point. Um. <laughs> you should probably visit several of them because they're really, you know, they're very, they're very different from one another. Um, just like, you know, unprogramming mm -hmm. is very different from one another too, but um, the, the fact that there are different elements in play with a sermon and, and, and hymns uh, and readings and things like that, um, the variety can be even greater. Sort of the, 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 outward, the outward variety can be even greater in terms of format. Gotcha. Okay, so, um, so we've talked about the two different uh, worship styles. And so then within each of those worship styles, um, those tend to be divided up then into, as Michael was saying, or, well, as you said, there's the evangelical and pastoral, and um, broadly, the pastoral ones in the U.S. tend to be associated, well, actually, I suppose around the world now, um, for the, for the non-evangelical pastoral, because we don't really have a good word for that, tend to be associated with the, Friends United meeting. The, tru the truth is, um, is that the, the evangelical uh, appellation is really more of a political uh, naming than a than a theological one in many cases. Um, you know, for example, Northwest Yearly Meeting uh, is a part of Evangelical Friends Church when we consider Evangelical Friends. But at least for the moment, um, many of the churches there, I would say, were more uh, sort of. Um, so really, what you have among pastoral friends, including all all kinds of uh, all kinds of pastoral friends, is you've got um, for those of you who are familiar with church history, um, there was the Evangelical Modernist split. Um, You've got, you've got churches that lean more modernist, which is sort of more interested in the historical reading of the Bible, more interested in, criti in historical criticism, 
um, and ge generally more interested in the progressive agenda um, on the one hand, and then you've got the evangelicals on the other hand who are, less, who are more interested in a literalistic reading of the Bible, um, less interested in social justice, more interested in personal morality. Um, and you see that, you see that um, sort of uh, division or divide or difference among pastoral friends, but it's not always neat uh, down yearly meeting and, and branch lines. So you, you've, you've, got, you've got what I would call more modernist descended meetings uh, in the evangelical friends world, and you've got, you've got more evangelical meetings in the pastoral world. And, you know, pretty much, all, pretty much I mean, the vast majority of, of Quakers in Africa, for example, are evangelical friends, but they belong to Friends United Meeting, which in the U.S. is identified as pastoral as opposed to evangelical. So I would, I would say that really it's, it's difficult to separate out what's evangelical and what's pastoral. It's all kind of the same thing, and there's just a big spectrum. Right, and, and of course, I'm sure part of why that will, like the um, Friends Churches in Africa are part of FUM, but have a more evangelical lean that probably goes back to the part where in the middle of the 20th century, FUM contained all of that. And finally, some evangelicals in the U.S. were like, okay, no, we need to draw a line here. We're separating out. And so they formed right. Evangelical Friends Church. That's right. That's right. Um, so are, are, are we going to start in the 20th century? We're we going to start way back when and, and come well, back since forward? We, we're yeah, since students. we started talking about the, the programmed ones first, then I guess we're starting the 20th century. <laughs> okay, so we can, start, we can start with the most recent uh, schism. And, and when I say most recent schism, I mean the most recent, like, massive schism. Because Quakers uh, were almost as good as the Anabaptists at, at, at breaking up. And, I don't uh, we, think we we have, we've had we, any breakups over hat styles yet. Fair enough. No, the Anabaptists really do take the cake in terms of their schisms. Yep. Uh, they're, re they're really good at it. Seriously, um, but check, out the, uh, check out the blog post on Drunken Mennonites blog. That's about the top 10 Anabaptist schisms. It's great. But so uh, Quakers have little schisms all the time. All the time. But so when we talk about, we're talking about, I think, uh, four, uh, let's see, et cetera, et cetera, three, three schisms, three, three like major schisms where you had like tectonic yeah. realignments of Quakerism. Um, we're going to talk about the most recent one first, which is when uh, evangelical friends uh, sort of broke away uh, from uh, the rest of pastoral Quakerism. Um, and it actually started before it began, um, when pastoral Quakerism as we know it today was first begun organizationally. Um, it was as a part of the five years meeting, uh, which now today is known as Friends United meeting. Um, and when the five years meeting was formed, Eastern Region which is a yearly meeting mostly in Ohio, although they have, they have uh, churches other places too, um, decided not to participate in the five years meeting. So they actually never joined uh, the new pastoral uh, organization. Um, and so they, they, they just were sort of outliers and still remain uh, sort of the vanguard of evangelical Quakerism and very, very radical evangelicals by Quaker standards. Um, and uh, so they sort of were on their own for, for a number of decades until they were joined, um, well, not joined, uh, Oregon Yearly Meeting left Friends United Meeting uh, in, I want to say, 1929. I think it was in the late 20s. Um, and they left because FUM uh, was not willing to affirm, uh, to affirm the Richmond Declaration as a creed. And by the way, the Richmond Declaration is just a statement of faith that, that pastoral friends agreed on. Uh, back when the five years meeting was 1885, being formed. I think, somewhere yeah, in that range. And so, 
it's, it's, it's not important for us to define what the Richmond Declaration is right now. That could be its whole own episode or perhaps even multiple episodes because it's, it's a pretty complex. I've never read the whole thing. Document. Like, I, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, a lot of this agrees with the Nicene Creed. Sure, whatever. It's long. It is long. It's, it's long. a lot longer um, than the Nicene Creed and it seems to just say a whole lot the, of the same stuff. But the point is, uh, Oregon Yearly Meeting uh, left in the 20s. And then, uh, now I'm blanking on, on exact dates, because, you know, I was actually a, I was actually a history major in, in, in college and, and was very into history throughout middle school and high school. Um, and I was very much of the school of thought as a student, and thankfully my teachers were too, that dates, exact dates aren't that important. It's about the flow of the right. timeline. And so that's how I tend to think. Um, but so it was, some, it was somewhere like in the, in, the, in the 50s and 60s. I think it was in the early, I think it was in the 60s that Evangelical Friends Alliance was formed. Um, and uh, and that basically brought together uh, several yearly meetings. Um, I'm wanting to say, and here's here's where it's not even it, it's not even a dates issue. Like I'm I know there's Southwest, details. which has like Southern California. No, 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 no. That, that was way that Southwest broke off in '94. Okay, I mean I I um, know when they happened. I was just trying to think. Of, I can't I can't name yeah. all the ones. So basically basically um, you you had sort of a slow motion break off. The Evangelical Friends Alliance was formed in the I think in the '60s. Um, what was in Kansas yearly meeting joined it and broke off of FUM. Uh, that's today Mid-America yearly meeting. Um, Rocky Mountain yearly meeting joined it. Um, uh, Eastern region and, 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 nor and Northwest yearly meeting, which was Oregon yearly meeting, um, joined it at its inception. And um, later, uh, in 1994, uh, Evangelical Friends Church Southwest, which was then California yearly meeting, um, broke off of Friends United meeting and joined that. So um, over the period of what would that have been? Maybe 30 years. Um, Evangelical Friends Alliance uh, sort of formed and was over that period of time renamed Evangelical Friends International. And then finally, uh, just maybe a decade ago, was renamed Evangelical Friends Church International because apparently they were being confused with an international adoption agency. Oh, is that why? Uh, yeah. Um, so Evangelical Friends Church, uh, they have their own missions group. Um, Evangelical, Friend, uh, Evangelical Friends Mission. Um, they do missions work in a lot of different countries like Nepal and uh, uh, Burundi and different places. Uh, and uh, they, they adhere much more closely to uh, wider evangelicalism as a group. Uh, they, they, they have, um, I, I think I'm right about this, they, they, I think they sign on to the, to the faith statement of, of the... Uh, the it? National Association of Evangelicals, yes. Thank you. That was what I was looking for. So they sign on to the National Association of Evangelicals faith statement, and they just tend to run. Um, yeah, and again, this is this is a, 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 a this is a broad statement, and it will not apply to every single church or every individual in evangelical friends. But as a body, as a whole, they tend to uh, align themselves culturally and theologically uh, with the religious right. Uh, I've also heard that an issue that they have um, is that there are so few Quaker seminaries which might mean just Earlham School of Religion, that they find it really difficult to find uh, pastors who are trained in Quaker theology, and so they end up stuck by default with things like Baptist-trained preachers, which makes it a lot harder to um, try to, or it makes it a lot easier to slip into um, more general evangelical um, streams because there's not just, there's not a whole lot of people out there who have the training to um, really blend um, more traditional Quaker stuff in properly. That's right. Um, so evangelical, I'm sorry, uh, Earlham School of Religion 
which is uh, the only Quaker seminary currently in existence that I'm aware uh, of. I, one I has now been, opened I, I think, in Africa. I okay. think in uh, Kenya. So, so it, it, I, I should have specified in the yes. US. <laughs> Uh, because there's Friends Theological College in Kenya, um, which is a Friends Seminary uh, in Kenya. Um, but in the U.S., the Earlham School of Religion, as far as I know, is the only currently operating and is the original Quaker Seminary. And unfortunately, um, uh, it, it opened in 1960. It was, really, it was really radical when it opened because a lot of friends, including the pastoral branches, thought that uh, seminary education was unnecessary and perhaps even, even worldly. Um, but it opened anyway. And uh, since then, it's been a training ground um, for uh, mostly for uh, mostly for uh, sort of the more traditionalist uh, pastoral friends, and increasingly in recent years for more liberal friends. So at this point, actually, uh, most of the graduates of Earlham School of Religion are not going on to be pastors. I, in fact, was uh, am a graduate of Earlham School of Religion, and I have never I have never served as a pastor. Um, so that's pretty typical. And in fact, uh, my, my trajectory is, is more pastor-like than the trajectory of many uh, uh, graduates of Rome School of Religion. So ESR isn't really, isn't exactly a pastor factory. Um, and for evangelical friends who, for whom Rome uh, School of Religion uh, might be too liberal, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the ones who are going to go to seminary uh, are typically going to go to, to seminaries that are aligned with other denominations. So... Maybe we need to have there be another Quaker seminary in the U.S. somewhere that can uh, strike more balance or provide more variety I, in Quaker seminaries. <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll 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 do a plug for ESR. I do not think this is ESR's issue. ESR has a very um, <clears throat> overall has a very liberal uh, student body, but the faculty um, by 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 uh, National Association of Evangelical. Evangelical standards, yes, it would be a liberal, a liberal uh, faculty. But by Quaker standards, it is a very moderate faculty. These are these are Christian professors, and they're teaching Christian theology, um, and I think they do a really good job. And so, I really, I really would hope that um, you know folks who are sort of on the fence about whether ESR is too liberal for them or for their church uh, would would give it a second look, because um, while the student body is very is very liberal, um, I think the faculty is doing a really good job. Um, of, of, of uh, representing and teaching and preparing people for Christian ministry. Okay. Um, so uh, let's scoot away from the program stuff over to the unprogrammed side of things now because we're getting on in time. Um, sure. <laughs> so uh, you also said that there were two unprogrammed groups. And so those are generally called liberal and conservative. Or if you're in Britain, um, you might call the conservative ones primitive Quakers. And as Mike alluded to earlier, British friends will say that there is only one kind of Quakerism in Britain. There's Britain Yearly Meeting. And uh, of course, there's no other Quakers that aren't part of Britain Yearly Meeting. But actually, in the early 1990s, um, there was a small group that broke off of, I think, about the same time that they went from being London Yearly Meeting to being Britain Yearly Meeting. There was a small group that broke off and said, you know what, you guys are getting just, this is this is a step too far in, in liberalness. This is not Christian enough for us. And so those ones call themselves primitive friends. And I believe they now have some association to Ohio yearly meeting in the U.S. Um, yeah, there's, the, um, you know, to be fair uh, to, to, our, to our British friends who before this moment thought that there was only one type of Quaker in, in Britain, um, 
if, if we were doing a survey, we would determine the conservative friends in Britain to be statistically insignificant. Yes, um, there's there are two meetings. <laughs> there's one in yeah. Greenwich and one somewhere in Scotland. And then I yeah. think they might have a um, Skype and, meeting and, as well. And these are very small groups of people too. Um, but uh, yes, they there have been there have been groups and individuals connected in one way or another to Ohio yearly meeting. Um, and in fact, before that, um, I'm blanking on the names uh, on the names and the name of the group. Um, but there actually was, uh, and you know, the the groups that currently exist in Britain that are that are uh, conservative uh, are sort of inspired by Ohio yearly meeting at this mm -hmm. point. But previously, uh, or earlier in the 20th century, there actually was an indigenous Britain. Uh, group that was conservative, and it's not. It's it. It eventually uh, ended. It fizzled out. Um, it fizzled out. Um, but there actually was an indigenous conservative friends group in Britain huh. pr prior. So okay. Um, Britain, Britain, Britain has had some schisming, even if it has been much more contained. See, they usually claim they haven't. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, so then the next part is so how did we end up with well okay so how about the difference between. Um, Conservative friends and liberal friends nowadays. Um, conservative friends would all very firmly say that they are Christians, whereas um, liberal Quakers would be a little wishy-washier on that. Um, some would say, well, um, you know, some would say they're Christians. Um, some would say, well, I'm Christ-centered. Some would say, uh, I'm a Jesus follower, but I don't know about this Christian word. And some would say, no, I'm a Buddhist and a Quaker. Or, or, you know, they'd say, I'm a pagan, I don't Quaker, I'm a Quagan. Things like that. Um, the, the liberal section itself is, like, the liberal section alone is pretty wide. Yes, today, today and, 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 and again, wouldn't want to speak for all areas of liberal Quakerism, and I'm sure there are exceptions, but in general, if you go to a typical liberal Quaker meeting, um, the, theological, the theological grounding um, is not there's not a normative theological grounding the the theological there's theological openness and if you choose to if you choose as an individual to be a christian that's wonderful if you choose to be uh, a pagan that's okay and if you choose to be an atheist well that's that's all right too uh increasingly uh in in a lot of liberal meetings uh non-theism uh is is a commonplace thing uh which I'll be I'll be honest for me as 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 a friend from uh, more of the uh, more of the evangelical side of things. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, well, I we think can talk about that okay. I thought you said, I thought you said you grew up with can, that, but we can talk about that in another episode. But but we'd have to have a long conversation about what evangelical means. But I don't identify with that okay. label. Um, but uh, for 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 me, given my background and my and my theology, um, it I don't understand uh, how how you could not believe in God and be a part of a tradition that has consistently preached the, the radical eminence of the divine uh, and, and the personal will of God. Um, but that, that's, I think that's, that's a question for another episode and perhaps for a, for a, for a guest, a guest uh, to join us and talk about their, their experience as a non-theist. So uh, for, for liberal Quakers, the, theological unity is not, is not very important. And uh, and so you can you can be a part of a, a typical liberal Quaker meeting um, and believe uh, a very very wide range theologically, um, especially especially if your theology is not exclusive. Uh, really, really the highest theological value that I've experienced in most liberal Quaker meetings is that um, your your theology is not exclusive of others. So whatever you believe, it should not it should not exclude uh, the beliefs of others being valid. Right, um, that sort of syncretism and, and universal 
um, universal understanding. Right. So, so something I experienced as I became a Christian in a liberal Quaker context, uh, actually, uh, what I experienced is the more Christian I became and the more uh, outspoken I became uh, uh, about the gospel and its centrality and importance, the more uncomfortable I became in that context because the, the theology that I was discovering and the, tr the truth that I was finding uh, was exclusive and, and did, did actually have, like there were, there were correct and incorrect answers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that's not permitted. Right. Um, I think Pink Dandelion, who, by the way, uh, listeners, uh, Pink Dandelion is this uh, British scholar of Quakerism, and you should totally read any of his books. Uh, I especially recommend An Introduction to Quakerism as a good starting point. But um, he talks about the absolute perhaps that um, that liberal Quakers are very comfortable with having questions and much less comfortable with having answers. Mm -hmm. So how do we how do we get off on this? So um, there are there are well there we were explaining Quakers what those we were explaining Quakers. what those are and and conservative Quakers are much easier to explain. They're 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 silent and they're Christian and you know there you go um, and, and well they're very traditional. Um, or at least they're. Now, I, 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 want, say... I want the record. <laughs> I want the record to state that uh, McKinsey has been hanging out with Ohio Yearly Meeting friends and associates, and even within the okay. conservative Quaker world, there is quite a bit of range. That's that's true. Um, because okay, so now we're going to dive back into some history. Then, um, so way back in, well, okay, real quick thing, eighteen um, twenties, the U.S. had the Hicksite Orthodox Schism. And that was, Hicksite is named for a guy named Elias Hicks, and that's what eventually migrated over to becoming um, the broad range of liberal Quakerism today. And then 20 years later in the 1840s, the um, Orthodox had another schism, and that resulted in the Gurneyites and the Wilburites. And uh, the Gurneyites were more evangelical-ish, more um, biblical authority, etc., and the Wilburites um, had a little more inner light versus the, um, uh, Bible, but still believe that, you know, anything that you're going to get from the inner light, you'll be, you'll find it confirmed in scripture, just like George Fox did. So then if you skip forward another 30, 40 years, the having pastors and having programmed worship, etc., evolves in the, um, or the Gurneyite branch. And when that happened, there were a whole bunch of folks who went, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is a step too far. And so they broke off and joined up with the Wilburites, and that is what is now the conservative branch. Right. So there was there were the folks who broke off for theological and cultural reasons. And one thing I would add is that um, in addition to the evangelicals having a more uh, a more uh, sort of biblically literal theology and and a, and, a, and a sort of a biblicist way of reading the Bible, um, in addition, they were much more interested. And this is a positive thing that, that should be mentioned. Uh, evangelical friends were, uh, and Gurneyite friends in particular during the split, were more interested in engaging with the world and being involved right. in social justice causes. And that's something that often gets lost is because today evangelicalism is so associated with basically um, anti-progressive movements. Well, but the funny and, thing and is that it actually has a, it, it actually does make sense if you, if you start digging into it because there's this, um, the idea, so, so like liberal Quakers will talk about how what we do is what makes us Quakers more than what we believe, right? Um, and so for us, like, you know, what we do is how we do our worship or how we do business meeting. But then over on the evangelical side, and, and so it's more concerned with like um, my personal 
actions. And so, and that's sort of thing that you get from the Hicksite side of things was it's less concerned with exact particulars of theology and more concerned with my personal actions. But then over on, on the um, Orthodox, Gurneyite, etc. side of things, the thing that you get from the Great Awakening and from evangelical influence is this, um, that you need to purify the world, not just yourself. Like, like the, because the, cause the whole quietist, oh, I should, should explain quietism was a thing in like the 1700s um, and in the beginnings of the um, liberal Hicksite branch and also in kind of has stuck around in the conservative where it's sort of you work on fixing your own health, you know, fix your own house, right? Um, get yourself into and your, your get, community. Yeah, but get get it's it's sort of the ultimate don't throw stones in glass houses. Um, <laughs> that you're you're fixing yourself, um, getting yourselves purified for God, etc. Whereas on the evangelical side, you have this that you need to purify the world, and so abolitionism, right, and um, trying trying to get rid of um, alcohol prohibition, etc. Like because if now if you don't know why prohibition was supported in like the 1920s, how the heck it actually got passed, there was a lot of concern about. Um, guys getting drunk, coming home, beating their wives, or spending all their money on alcohol, or things like that. And so it was a social ill. And Thank goodness that doesn't happen anymore until alcohol is legal again. Well, it created a bigger problem than it solved, which is to say the mafia. Um, <laughs> um, but so if you think of it in terms of them trying to purify the world, though, then the thing that you have with modern evangelicalism, with... Um, trying to enforce laws relating to morality, that fits right there, that fits right in with the whole stream. Sure, it's just it's sort of the social justice piece that seems to have been lost in modern evangelicalism, whereas uh, in traditional, in, in, in old school evangelicalism, evangelicals were at the forefront of the abolition movement. You know, evangelicals were very interested in social justice movements. So it's, 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 just, it's just a different feel. And I think that something that's often forgotten is that uh, evangelicalism, has been a force for good in the past, mm -hmm. and I guess as 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 as, as derelict and astray as it may be today. <laughs> All right. So if anybody was wondering if there was a bias here in this podcast, uh <laughs> I'm equal opportunity bias. I, I just go after. <laughs> well, that's true because I know that you won't attend any of the uh, Quaker meetings in our city on account of they're all too liberal for you. Hey, I've at I've attended most of them. I, I'm, okay, I'm not a member you attended anymore. and then you wouldn't stick around. <laughs> Um, you visited. Um, Many times, and supported, uh, and, and, and worked, worked with meetings that were struggling and tried to be of help. So uh, I, 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 don't, I don't, don't necessarily want to be portrayed as someone who's, <laughs> who's uh, against the Quakers in my region. Okay. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I lost a train of thought. Uh, oh, I was going to say, since you were mentioning abolitionism, um, I think it is worth pointing out at this point that um, contrary to what the um, simplified uh, trees, like little graphs you'll see of the branches of, of Quakerism would show, such as the very simplified one that I put on our Facebook page, if you want to go back and look for it, um, there actually have been schisms in the liberal branch before. Um, in the 1800s, a major point of contention was whether abolitionism was something to go forward with. Um, and the things that were at issue there were um, things like 
should we be enforcing laws on other people to get them to give up slavery? Or should we just be trying to convince the slave owners that what they're doing is wrong and so they need to stop it? Um, so, you know, whether you can bring the law in on that. Um, and also because, uh, you know, so many Quakers at that time were very concerned with getting their own house in order. Um, and frankly, early Quakerism was very uh, sure of itself as being the one true Christian religion. And some of that held over. There was, should you're we? Saying, you're, you're saying that's not true? Hi, Lewis Benson. <laughs> um, that his, his book, his book, Catholic Quakerism, is pretty fantastic. We'll have to read that at some point, um, or I'll have to read it at some point since clearly you have. Um, there was a concern about working with these abolition societies because abolition societies would have gasp Methodists in them, or maybe even Episcopalians. Um, you know, Unitarians, I bet, might show Oh, up. Unitarians, gotta watch out for them. Um, and so there was this idea that, well, if you, if you go join these abolition societies, that you're going to be working with these people who are not correct Christians. And that might, you know, they might, they might rub off on you. Um, and then on top of that, then the Fugitive Slave Act was passed, saying that um, if you aided a, you know, if, if you're in the North, and um, you encounter a runaway, a, so you encounter somebody who had been enslaved that you have to return them to the South, otherwise you get arrested. And so then it was, well, can we break the law or not? And so you had these three things that resulted in there being a split in liberal Quakers called Progressive Friends, where the Progressive Friends did want to get, did want to do abolitionist stuff and also happened to get rid of a lot of like elder and overseer for life positions and stuff like that. And then after the Civil and War, started, they got back together. And started holding seances and, and doing spiritism. Yeah, that, that too. Although I think that might have been after they got back together. The spiritualism might have been after the, the reunification. But one of the things that is a holdover in liberal Quakerism from the progressive friends is that um, a lot of liberal yearly meetings don't record ministers anymore don't have um, elders appointed for life anymore or even call them elders at all. They might just have a uh, ministry and oversight committee. Well, no, now it's now it's ministry and worship. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 in most of the liberal yearly meetings I'm aware of that used to have something called ministry and oversight, it was determined in the last decade that oversight had slavery connotations and so they changed it to worship. Right, I did, I did hear about that. And I, so I do know... Like, I know that Tacoma Park Friends meeting, their committee is still abbreviated as M and O. And I think they did change what the O stands for, but I don't know what they changed it to. And when I asked, the joke I got back was miscellaneous and other. So. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> of course, it's the only committee that meeting has. There's about eight people, although we had 11 people on Easter. So that's, you know, a nice bump up. Attendance has risen. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think we just ran through all of the schismy stuff, and that should at least tell you all what the current state of these branches are. Um, I know that if you look in Pink Dandelion's Introduction to Quakerism book that I mentioned earlier, he, uh, describes there being liberal and liberal-liberal, um, and says, you know, the two worship together, but, like, he categorizes them as, you know, based on the individual level or maybe on the meeting level as um, 
as being somewhat distinct. Yep. But so uh, just a recap for our uh, listeners overseas in particular, or just for our listeners in the United States that haven't visited another Quaker meeting or any Quaker meeting, um, they're basically, when it comes down to it, they're kind of three types, uh, three, three main genres of Quakers. One is liberal unprogrammed, where you can, where within, at least within some limits, uh, you can believe whatever you want theologically, uh, and there's unprogrammed uh, silent worship as the main, the main course uh, on Sunday morning. There's conservative friends who uh, share the unprogrammed silent worship on Sunday morning, uh, but tend to have a more orthodox Christian theology that they share. And then there is pastoral uh, or, or, or evangelical, depending on uh, how you want to look at it, Quakerism, that uh, is more interested in, uh, more interested in a uh, more Protestant-looking Christianity uh, that uh, is, is, is less, less sectarian and more integrated with the broader, the broader Protestant church in the U.S. Right, and if you, if you walked into one of those, then um, you, it, it would be more similar to, say, like going to possibly a Lutheran or possibly a Baptist, depending on exactly where they fall in, in that evangelical uh, spectrum um, type service. Yeah, again, somewhat a Lutheran or a Baptist coming in would think that it was very strange. Um, right. But, but, for, but for, from the perspective of a liberal Quaker, it might seem similar to this thing. Four songs and a sermon, right? Come on. <laughs> um, and while, we are, while we're saying conservative friends are one of the major branches, I should note that according to the book I'm holding, there's only about 1,600 in the conservative branch if you're going by the conservative yearly meetings now and that's and frankly that's an overstatement uh because membership numbers are are, are do not always reflect right i'll just put it mildly they don't always reflect attendance right um so yeah i think it's fair to say that conservative friends you know represent something like one percent of quakers in the united states yeah um although um you know if you talk to martin kelly he would point out that there are certainly lots of people who personally identify as being conservative friends but where they live what's available to them is something else with all my love for martin kelly and with all my love for all those uh all those christ-centered conservatively identified friends all over the world um a key point of conservative quakerism is the the paramount importance of the community and so more than any other community, it is very, very difficult to be an isolated conservative friend. That's fair. That's actually um, in the book that we were using for our podcast, The Traditional Quaker Christianity. I actually remember reading in there that it explained that plain dress only makes sense as a witness if it is done in community. And if you're a single, if you're doing it solo, that it doesn't really count. <laughs> Which, hey, there's uh, at least two other people in my community who are doing it too, so meh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it just depends on where you draw the lines of the community. <laughs> yep. Uh, so if you, if, so listeners, if you have any further questions related to this, um, you can drop them in the comments or uh, Facebook or Twitter. And uh, suppose if there are things that we can't answer, we can, we both have lots of Quaker friends on the internet. <laughs> we can probably find somebody to, to yep. answer a question from their tradition. And I figure, we, I figure we'll circle back around to these kinds of questions again. I think one really good thing for us to talk about eventually would be, you know, we're, we talked about this, sort of these, these, these historical branches, but uh, what's the future 
and, and what, what, what does Quakerism need to look like in the 21st century because, um, you know, we can't, we can't, we're, we're not going to get very far just reliving the, 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 the modernist uh, evangelical split. Yeah, well, regarding what the future looks like, I did earlier today discover that apparently at some point in the past, Pink Dandelion made the prediction that British Quakerism is going to die out in 2032. So, hey, Brits, let's work on not having that happen. Let's push out that expiration date. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, you know, uh, institutional religion is not looking, is not looking uh, very promising in most of the developed world right now. Yeah, the number of Quakers in the U.S. dropped by 10,000 in theory, between 2007 and 2012, which is 2,000 a year. Whatever that means, because I assume that's counting membership statistics, which again are right. very, very problematic. Right. And especially when you get into things like, um, I don't know about how it works in the more programmed branches, but at least in the liberal branch, it's pretty common to attend for years and years and years, maybe even decades, and never bother becoming a member. It's also, on the, on the other hand, it's also very common to have children and grandchildren enrolled as members and have never set foot in the meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of meetings have stopped recording um, babies as members um, or they'll... No more, no more infant baptism. Right. <laughs> uh, or, they'll, or they'll put them as a quote-unquote associate member and so their, their membership is supposed to expire when they're 18 or 25, although not everybody's really good at keeping up the paperwork on that. So there's that too. Anyway, uh, we've rambled on long enough, so uh, we will see y'all in the comment section. All right. Bye. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, on Twitter as Quaker Faith, on Facebook, and on iTunes. 